I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres such as zombies, ghosts, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. Episode 10, man. This is like an anniversary or something. Holy crap, man. It's like a decade of podcasts. I feel like we're going steady. <laughs> so this was supposed to be episode nine, but Paranormal Activity was long, so we split that bitch. So we have some episode 10 stuff that we want to do here at the end, like some top 10 stuff. Yep, yep. We think that'd be kind of fun. The category we picked for episode 10 was kind of fun, and it's 11 now, but you guys will hear that one next week. It just sometimes <laughs> shit works out that way. We're back to directors. So we're going to cover one that was real influential on my teenage years, um, which shocked a few people when I told them we were doing, Peter Jackson. Yeah, same for me, man. Um Really, really fun finding his early work at the age that we did, especially the parallels between him and Sam Raimi. Um, I have to go there. A lot of like guerrilla fucking movie making grassroots shit though, yep. between those two. And we watched a lot of these together as kids. And like I said, they're really fun. They made me want to go to film school. They got me real big into indie horror movies. And a few people that I talked to, I told them we're doing Peter Jackson. Like, why are you doing the Lord of the Rings guy? I know, right? That's that's like calling Sam Raimi the Spider-Man guy. I know, I know. And it's just insane. Um, it's, what's insane is that he got the Lord of the Rings job to begin with. I don't uh, know how that yeah. happened. I mean, I'm a fan, but I don't know how you get handed that much money to handle that big of a franchise. <laughs> but, you know, most people know him as the Lord of the Rings guy, the no. Hobbit guy, some people King Kong. Um, but really, I mean, he was a horror fan early on. Uh, he saw King Kong as a child, like eight or nine, right? Yep. And he got super big into wanting to make movies, stop motion, monsters. Yeah, all big Harryhausen fan and just wanted to do it. And uh, the family actually had a little eight millimeter camera and he snatched it away from him and started making his own little films. Yeah. I mean, like he was eight or nine when he got the camera. It was an eight millimeter camera, right? Yeah. Couldn't do audio. Correct. He immediately the first day. Uh, from a documentary I saw him and some kids dug a hole in the backyard yeah. to look like a trench and uh, they shot a World War II um, uh, short film and he even had you know they had toy guns and I saw the muzzle flash on the video clips when he was showing it on the documentary and I'm wondering how he does it and of course Peter Jackson this is like the early steps of him blowing your mind but he used a like needle and poked holes in the film so that the light would flash through and it would look like muzzle flash. Yep. And that's what was so neat about it is he had he had big ideas in a lot of the little films that he made at that time. His biggest problem was he never finished them because he'd start them and then his ideas would outgrow the budget. Of course, there was no budget. Right. So he had all this work that he never actually got done. Uh, on a more recent interview with him, I saw he actually stated that he would get bored of the films and stop because he had Hollywood ideas and like backyard budgets. Yeah, there you go. And uh, and he would just have this vision that he couldn't bring into fruition, which he figured out how to do that in the end. Yeah. I think it's funny that the first two short movies he made as a child were World War II movies. And the most recent film that he made is the World War II documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old. Yeah, it came like, out last year. It's like he came all the way back around finally. He, he does that a few times, though. Yeah. So that was his early, like pre-10 is when he did those. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if we said this, but he was actually his birthday. He was born on Halloween. Yeah, yeah. He was born on Halloween. I actually forgot to put that in my notes. I'm glad you said that. He was destined for something. But at at 22, PJ got his hands on a 16 millimeter camera. I don't know if he bought it or what. It it was one of them that you had to crank, right? And you get like 30 seconds of filming. Yeah, the Bolex. He bought it. And I think it recorded sound. I don't friggin' remember. I don't remember if it did or not, but they, you know, they ended up overdubbing all the bad taste. Yeah. But he bought that and he made a couple other short movies. Is that the camera he used for the vampire movie? The uh, Curse, Curse of the, the Grave Walker? Walker? Yeah. I don't remember because it was. But yeah, so he made a. Somewhere in that time. That was his like first adult 
attempted a movie was this vampire movie that he was making. Yeah. And then he got some friends together and he made a, another short called The Roast of the Day. Right. Yeah. And that turned into bad taste. Yeah. Well, when they started it off, that was the whole plan is that I got the Bolex now. I'm going to make the short with my friends and it's going to be Roast of the Day. And in true Peter Jackson form, as far as his other homemade projects, it spun out of control so fast that one day he went to edit it and was like, I have over an hour of footage. Fuck it. Let's make it a full length movie. Yeah. Cause I mean, basically the plot the rest of the day was what it was like a door to door tax collector or yeah. salesman. And he stumbles upon alien businessmen that are there to eat humans. Yeah. Which, that's bad taste. Like, and, straight and, up. Yeah. And it's, yeah, exactly. It still is. <laughs> uh, so he got a group of coworkers and real life friends, talked them into shooting a movie. They shot it just on weekends over like three or four well, years. On, right. Only on Sundays. Only they on Sundays. At, at the. It was like a newspaper outfit that Peter Jackson and like most of the guys worked at and they were working six days a week. Yeah, we got it good in America over there. They had to work six days a week. (laughs) When we get into his horror movies, we'll go into more specifics, but bad taste. He did all of the special effects himself. Yep. And this is this is gore. This is vomit. This is full aliens running around. This is him making rocket launchers. This is him making submachine guns. Yep. This him, is him blowing up houses, having houses turn into spaceships. Yeah, him and his buddies were the prop masters and the carpenters and everything. I mean, if if you have time, go to YouTube and type the good taste and bad taste or something like that. Yeah, it's a uh, good bad taste. Good bad taste, something like that. If you type Peter Jackson bad taste, good taste, it's going to pull it up. But it was actually, uh, it's a documentary interviewing on BBC made when he was 25, right after Bad Taste came out. They had no clue what was going to happen to this guy's career when yeah. they interviewed him. I actually, me and Josh saw that when we were, I don't know, fucking teenagers, because I had like a special edition, collector's edition of Bad Taste. And just like him going through his props and showing how they work, you're like, he's a genius. And he shows props that were scenes that I never, didn't realize weren't people. Yeah. The vomit scene. Yeah. Looks like a guy. Yeah. yeah. I, until I saw that, I always thought it was just camera trickery. I did not realize it was a puppet. So that was his first movie. That was what? 87 for bad taste. Yeah. And then he made this one was huge for me. Um, we know it as dead alive in America in 92 zombie movie. Yeah. It is known as the goriest movie ever made. Yep. Primarily because of one scene. Um, <laughs> it, it was originally called brain dead. Yeah. Every, all the other, all the foreign markets, it's brain dead. But in America, they had to change the name because there was another movie that came out the same year. They tried to get out the same year and the name was the same. No. Yeah. So he met uh, his co-writer, Fran Walsh, that ended up being his wife, right? Yeah. And they were trying to make Dead Alive, but they couldn't get the funding. So they ended up making Meet the Feebles. Yeah. Instead. Which uh, we didn't, we're not going to cover Meet the Feebles, but if you've never seen it, it's fucked up. It's basically like if Muppets were real. And there's this like family Muppet show with these animals and they sing and dance and play, but then they have a real life outside of the show. And like the rabbit fucks like a jackrabbit yeah, and you, he has AIDS and he's addicted like heroin and Coke and stuff. It is dark. Have you ever seen Greg the bunny? No, okay. you need to see that shit. It's kind of the same thing. It's a Muppet esque show, but shows them in the real world in real life situations, okay. but the amount of violence and debauchery and meet the feebles blows it out of the water. But anybody, any listeners who have at least seen Greg the bunny, if you found that entertaining, go see Meet the Feebles because it's bonkers. Right. But eventually between Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles, he was finally able to get uh, Dead Alive out, which, like I said earlier, is known as one of the goriest films ever made in the history of time. Yeah. I remember actually seeing that movie, my cousin's video store. It was one sitting on the shelf that just based on the cover and that tagline at the top, I'm like, goriest film of all time. These things always lie. Let's see what this is. And fuck was I surprised. I love that movie cover too. Like I always made sure you could see that one on my VHS shelf in my bedroom, like with the, the skull coming out of the mouth. Yeah, that shit was so good. 
Weta Workshop actually did all the puppets for Meet the Feebles. Okay. And Peter Jackson in, ended up becoming part of their company and ended up helping spawn their digital department, Weta Digital, when they did Heavenly Creatures. You could see how he easily could get put on a special effects team when you watch this documentary or see Bad Taste and know that he did it all himself. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting that he got into digital from doing the practical effects. I know, right? Because there's even some of that stuff, I think, in that interview where he's saying, oh, this is what I thought I was going to do was do all the effects stuff, not make movies. I was making movies so I could do the effects. At one time, that's where he thought he would go. And he really embraced digital when he saw it. He was just a cheerleader for it. I mean, you see some good use of digital effects in Frighteners. I mean, some of it's dated. Yeah. Some of it looks great. But that's what turned into Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings was not Industrial Light and Magic. That was his yeah. digital department, yeah, right? It was what a digital. What's interesting is around uh, the same time as Heavenly Creatures, which it's not a horror movie or anything. We're no. just bringing it up in his career because it got him noticed by serious people because it was not a gore movie. It was not a crazy movie. It still had dark subject matter. It's a fantastic movie. Though. I remember bringing that VHS copy or DVD or something over to your house and crash. And I think Seifer was with us. Yeah. If you've never seen it, it's about two girls in real life in New Zealand that fell in love with each other and ended up murdering one of their moms yep. so that they could be together. You just see them hanging out and, and falling in love, but they have these really weird, dark fantasies because they think they're like royalty of this like medieval exactly. type thing. And there's monsters and they have to fight them. So you see this from their like fucked up point of view in the Frighteners when she's watching the serial killer documentary yeah. on TV. It actually mentions the two real girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he threw it also beside the TV is, uh, Bad Taste, Dead Alive, and I don't. there's a third VHS copy. He made sure he stuck his tapes next to the TV. Damn, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, he likes to throw in little shit like that. But yeah, that was a 94 movie, and I love it. It's like a very artistic and dark yeah. movie, but it's not horror. Yeah, now, as far as horror goes around that time, Peter Jackson was actually contacted by New Line Cinema and asked to write the next Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which would have been Freddy's Dead. Ugh. Good he, thing he bailed on that. Yeah, he didn't write that. Well, he wrote the whole thing. He didn't bail. Okay. And uh, he was psyched about it. And if you get a chance, you can actually read his original script. You can poke around online. You'll find it. Well, you're a Nightmare on Elm Street guy. Is it good? It's interesting. It, okay. It, there are some interesting parallels between what he wrote and what ended up happening in Freddy versus Jason. Oh, okay. Because they do the whole thing of everyone's forgotten about Freddy. He's stuck in hell. And then there's this dynamic between a father and a son. He captures the father. And then the son has to go in and actually fight Freddy in the dream world. Once somebody fucks up and is scared of him and he gets his power back, it, it, it went along that route. But by the time he was done with that treatment, New Line had already started work on their in-house script, which was okay. Freddy's Dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next movie he made, because we're going to kind of go along with his career and then we'll hop into the horror movie breakdowns. It's a mockumentary that I saw on like independent film channel. It came out in 95. It's called Forgotten Silver. Have you seen it? I went back and at least watched, I skimmed it, but I didn't sit and watch the whole thing because of how long creatures. it is. But you can tell from the beginning with what you told me about what it was and knowing that watching from the beginning, it's like, this is fucking fun. This is cheeky as shit. So when it came out, the internet wasn't really a thing. And I watched it not knowing what it is. I just went in blind and maybe I saw Peter Jackson's name or something. I don't know. But I, I started watching it. And basically the story is it's, he's in New Zealand and that's where he lives. Obviously that's where he shoots every movie. Yeah. And there was a older couple down the street and he was very fond of the older man that lived there. And that guy got him into filmmaking originally and helped him with his early stuff. And apparently the man passed away and the woman asked him to come clean out the garage. Yeah. And he found a trunk and it had old reels in it and an old camera and like some manuscripts and stuff like that. And he asked if he could have it and he went home and this is all completely serious. And he's himself. Yeah. And he's reading it and he finds out where this guy was filming an epic Bible story. 
like a giant epic movie as big as Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston <laughs> in the jungle. And he sees where the guy like came up with a technique to do color film before color was a thing. And the guy had invented dollies before it came out in the book. So then he goes on an expedition and he finds the set, does the whole thing, puts the documentary out. And to my understanding, people thought this was a true story. And then he went up like on a stage and said the whole thing was a hoax. Yeah, he did have I did a little bit of reading on it. He did have a couple of industry insiders on his side that he actually shot some stuff with. Yeah. To help make the whole thing. But yeah, the whole thing was a straight up mockumentary that he kept his mouth mostly shut about just to see where it would go. And it's just, I really feel like that's worth going into the amount of detail we went to just because it really credits his character and his techniques. Yeah. And then after he did forgotten silver, he was offered to make like a tales from the crypt spinoff. Yep. That turned into the frighteners in 96. Yep. And I, as far as I know, that was like his first big release, like come out multiple countries movie at once. What was supposed to happen before the frighteners was actually King Kong. Okay. Um, he got that offer and he said, look, Godzilla, the new Godzilla movie's fixing to come out. Mighty Joe Young's fixing to come out. You're stupid if you think you need to do a King Kong movie right now. Pass. Okay. And then went and did The Frighteners. Of course, apparently somebody listened to him because they didn't do anything with the project until it came back to him. I don't know right. if it went into production hell or not, but that's how that went. Another interesting thing that happened around that time was, like we alluded to, with Weta and Silicon Graphics. And that was the first machine, the CGI machine they bought. By the time we get into the Frighteners, he's talking about they had 35 machines running in production at once. I bet that number multiplied greatly when he made Lord of the Rings. Well, that was the thing. He's like, we bought all these machines and what are we going to do with them? (laughs) It's like, I know what we can do with them. And he ended up using them. Another cool thing that happened around that time was, speaking of production hell, was he was offered to direct Freddy vs. Jason. Really? Yeah. And just didn't feel like it at the time. That would have been a different movie, right? Yeah. It's just, it's so interesting. So he saw King Kong, wanted to start making movies. He got to make King Kong. His first short films he ever made was a World War II movie. And he got to make a World War II movie. They've always said he's like the rock star fuck you director. Like he doesn't care what Hollywood says. Yeah. He's like the New Zealand Lloyd Kaufman. I mean, yeah. Except for (laughs) very successful. Yeah. 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 That is one difference. And then somehow from that fucking resume, New Line Cinema calls and says, Hey, we'll give you a ridiculous amount of money and you can make the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, and see, and that's the thing about a couple of things I brought up that's so interesting is I don't know who at New Line was always chasing him, but first they're like, hey, write a, write a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Hey, come direct this Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to do the biggest movie we've ever done in our entire life or our entire career. We're going to do three of them. Right. Come do them. <laughs> and I'm sure nobody knew how big those films were going to be at the time, but they knew they were going to be big because they had absurd budgets. Yeah. And it, it was a beloved franchise. Yeah, right? like, like, like I'm not a book reader, not even in school and shit. Like I would watch movies that to do book reports and shit. Right. And even I knew kids that read this shit in school. Like you've never read The Hobbit. You've never read Lord of the Rings. Like this is the most amazing thing ever written. How do you not know about this shit? You like, also had that nerdy cousin, Jesse, that would read those and play Dungeons and Dragons regularly. Right. <laughs> well, see, and that's where you were. I'm like, put it on film and I'll watch it. Read? Right. No, fuck that. <laughs> but that was like 01 to 03, right? That trilogy. Yep. And then because um, they came out pretty quick. But then he got to basically live his dream in 2005 and make the King Kong remake. Yep. I saw it in theaters. I've never watched it again since then. I've watched it. Um, that's a lie. I tried to watch it at home and it's just, it's off the mark. I'm not, for me. I'm not a huge fan of it. Like for it being his dream film, like yeah. it just, I don't know, blew my mind. It's like Rob Zombie, you know, always, always thought like, oh, if this guy ever made horror movies and he made a Halloween movie, he's such a fan. It's going to be awesome. And then he made the biggest fucking piece of shit I've ever seen with the Halloween remake. Like, yeah, what like, happens when a director is handed their dream and then they shit on it, you know? I don't know. Maybe it's too much pressure. 
And then in 2009, he made The Lovely Bones, which I actually had on our movie list to go over. Yeah. Because I love that movie. And I went back and rewatched it, and it's just, it's not a horror movie. Have you seen it? No, I just, I know the little bit that you told me about it, and I actually hadn't even heard of it when you told me about it. It's another thing. It's like, there's another Peter Jackson movie? What? I'll show you a scene from it that is honestly one of the creepiest, like, murder type scenes I've ever seen in a movie. There are things in the movie that are horrific, but it's not a horror through and through. Okay. Because basically in that movie, it takes place in the 70s. And Stanley Tucci's in it, and he's just like a fun kind of, you know, happy guy in a movie. Yeah. But he's this weird neighbor, and he's obsessed with this little girl. And she lives down the street, and she's got a camera, and she's taking pictures of everything and having a good time. And she's walking back from school, excited because she finally gets to go on a date with this boy that she likes. Okay. And earlier in the movie, you see uh, Stanley Tucci's character, like, drawing blueprints or something. And then you see him digging a hole in a cornfield, right? Okay. So it's getting dark, and she's walking home from school. And he's like, hey, hey, Susie Salmon, I'm your neighbor from down the street. And she's like, oh, I remember you. And he goes, I have something I want to show you. Uh-oh. Can I show this to you? And she's like, well, I really got to get home. And he's like, oh, it's okay. I just worked so hard on it for you neighborhood kids, and I just knew you guys were going to like it. And he guilt trips her. And she goes, and he's got like a hidden door in this fucking cornfield. And you open it up. And there's stairs, and you crawl down. And he has a room with like kids' toys and stuff that he built. Oh, she starts figuring it out, but he's blocking her, and she can't get out. Okay, you don't see like an assault, and she's a young girl, but it's obvious that it happens. And then you see him like collapse in the hole later, right? Okay, and the girl's missing, and this, and this, and that. But you don't realize she's dead at first. You see her running around and stuff, and it's because she's like a ghost, oh, and nobody can see her. She's okay. not haunting anybody, but she can see like the trauma her family's going through, and she's like stalking the guy that killed her because she's wanting it to get solved. And like she has this whole creepy scene where she walks into a bathroom and the room's basically an empty white void except for the bathtub and the sink. And it's Stanley Tucci with a rag over his head and there's just fucking mud and blood everywhere in the bathroom and stuff. And it's him washing off. Oh, from like, you know, from killing her and everything. Yeah. And it's just it's really dark and twisted. And it's got a it's got a great cast, too, because like the main girl is Sarah C. Rayonin. She ended up winning Oscars and shit for doing like Lady Bird and. I can't think of the other movie, Brooklyn and stuff like that. So she's been in a bunch of shit. Okay. I like her in that vampire movie by Azatine. If you've never seen it, it's a good movie. And it's got her and Rachel Weiss, which Rachel Weiss is her mom in this movie. Um, oh, so no shit. Stanley Tucci is in it. I can't think of her name right now, but the girl that plays Liv on iZombie is her older yeah. sister in it. Holy fuck. Mark Wahlberg's May- the dad. Okay, maybe the Liv part will get me to convince the wife to watch it. It's, it's a good movie. Mark Wahlberg's the dad, but it was supposed to be Ryan Gosling. He got the part. Peter Jackson loved it. He thought it was perfect. But Ryan was thinking he was like just too in shape and stuff to play this dad. So he lived on a diet of melted Haagen-Dazs ice cream and put on a ridiculous amount of weight. You can find pictures of him fat. Yeah. Showed up to start filming and Peter Jackson's like, what the fuck happened to you? And this, this and that and fucking fired him because he wanted him to look a certain way and then Holy replaced him with Mark shit. Wahlberg. Uh, we'll probably never cover that movie on the podcast. So I just kind of wanted, those yeah, are like yeah. fun facts and there's a good cast. It's, it's worth checking out if you want to watch like a more serious movie. But he did that in 09 and then... He said he'd never do Lord of the Rings again because it was so fucking stressful. But from 2012 to 2014, he went back and did the Hobbit movies. Yeah. Which should have just been one three-hour movie. Yeah, I watched the first one and haven't watched the other ones because I was just like, meh, not for me. There's good shit in all three movies, but there's more bad shit in the three movies. And they could have just made... I mean, here's the thing. Lord of the Rings was three books this fucking thick. I know you guys can't see my hands, but there were three big books. Yeah. The Hobbit is a kid's book this thick. Yeah. And they made three full-length movies out of this fucking thin book, and they just should have never done it. I don't know what happened. I mean, it's fun watch. I mean, a little bit if you're a fan, but they're not great. And then most recently he did uh, They Shall Not Grow Old in 2018, the World War II documentary, which I hear is fucking fantastic. I'm going to go back and watch it. Yeah. If you're into that kind of thing, that's that's it's being talked up big time. And uh, I haven't checked it out, but I probably will. 
And somewhere in there, though, he did, and, and maybe you're not aware of this, but this strikes really close to home. He did the uh, West of Memphis documentary about the West Memphis Three. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, he took a big interest in it. I know the whole thing with, like, Alkaline Trio and, and the West Memphis Three, but I did not know that Peter Jackson. And what? HBO had the uh, Paradise Lost documentaries. Yeah. This is so much better than those. But Holy yeah, shit. Look at, Peter Jackson, West of Memphis. It's fucking fantastic. Okay. It, it's, I mean, it's the best documentary on the West Memphis three. So, I mean, and he was a huge part of that. So that is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just mind blowing. Like what this guy has done, especially for me in a fucking Kiwi over in New Zealand and like how far <laughs> his reach has gone into everything everywhere. Yeah. But you know, everybody that's a great man or woman starts from humble beginnings. Yeah. We got to go to that humble beginning of the first thing to actually get out, and that's Bad Taste, 1987. Oh, yeah. And so we've got the Astro Investigation and Defense Services. We really got to change that name. AIDS. It stands for AIDS. It stands (laughs) it on their patches and everything. Yeah. Basically, we get this call or radio transmission to the office of AIDS. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's such a bad name, and it's so funny. (laughs) These aliens have landed in this small town, and they need to do something about it. So what right. do they do? They send the boys <laughs> and they literally, the finger, it, it's a dude's arm. It's Peter Jackson. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. But so it hits his arm, but a little rig that just has one little rubber finger on the end of it that pushes yeah. the button and to call the boys. It's got like a cigarette <laughs> attachment and stuff. Remember? Yeah. And, uh, actually, do you know Peter Jackson's three people in the movie? I know of two. Well, but, plus this guy. Okay. Yeah, plus yeah. that guy. Okay. The guy that calls the boys. Gotcha. And the boys being Derek, Frank, Ozzy, and Barry. And then, of course, the other important character, well, two other important characters in the movie being Giles and Lord Crumb. Right. And, uh, of course, like you had said earlier, this was originally going to be, well, it was originally going to be Roast of the Day. Right. Then it turned into Giles Day Out. Right. And then it just spun out of control. And by the time we got to Crumb's Crunchy Delights, it became (laughs) bad taste. And all these people in in all of these attempts to make this movie and this final movie, all real life friends and coworkers. Yes. I mean, Giles was Giles through every part of it. Yeah. So basically you've got, you know, like I said, the aliens have landed in New Zealand. And what we find out is that they're collecting human meat for their intergalactic fast food. Chain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just want to point out, like, I, I know people like to talk about McDonald's and their pink goop chicken nuggets and and Taco Bell and the urban legend of the great F meat and stuff like that. <laughs> but these motherfuckers, they don't just provide human meat. They basically eat it and then regurgitate it. Yeah. And then that is the delicacy. However, they store it in fucking cardboard boxes. Like, just pour this liquid shit in a cardboard box, duct tape it, fuck it, it's going to space. Yeah. Like, this movie is so low budget in some spots, and then you see the aliens and think a professional company made it. And know, it's just right? PJ, man, fuck it on his own. So you're following uh, Giles around as he's collecting donations. Right. And uh, nobody wants to talk to him. They're, like, leaving little envelopes hanging outside, and it has something in it or not. Well, plus the whole town's missing. Well, yeah. that too. He's quickly captured by, <laughs> by the aliens. This is it's going to be a real quick run through because there's not a lot of substance here. We could break down shots yeah. and shit like that. But at the end of the day, it's a pretty it was supposed to be a short film. Right. right. I mean, we should cover like the cool special effects because yeah. you know, we, we hearkened on it so much earlier. So we uh, were introduced. I, th- I think we're introduced to a couple of boys, but Derek's the important one. Right. Which is Peter Jackson. Exactly. <laughs> he ends up having this encounter with one of the main aliens, Robert the alien. Who's Peter Jackson. There we go. <laughs> and uh, 
One of the special, quote unquote, special effect shots in the film is after uh, Robert the zombie is hanging off the edge of the cliff and then you've got Derek up above him driving a stake right. into his foot because they shot all the, because the, the alien's bearded. Yeah. And that's the bearded, long haired, more what you, most people recognize Peter Jackson as. Right. And then at the end of it, he shaved everything and cut everything off and did the Derek shots. Right. Um, um, it's also interesting. It's a very dangerously steep hill. And oh, that, hell yeah. And that's the crane, right, that they built? Well, yes. So that shot, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, plywood crane they built to hold their camera to go over Peter Jackson hanging upside down where he could fall and die yep. at any second. And that's the thing, like you were saying with the props and stuff. This guy built his own wooden crane. He built his own dollies. He built his own primitive steady cam. That's so funny because he says on the video, he's like, this is my steady cam. Because, like I said, that documentary, you guys have got to see it. Because yeah. he's like 25 in it, and he's super excited. He's wearing like a Mickey Mouse t-shirt, and Mickey Mouse is flipping the bird. And he's showing off all this shit because they had no clue who this fucking guy is. He had made one movie and he's got this steady cam and it looks like like a little accordion orange and shit coming off. And he's running around in the in the woods showing the BBC crew how it works. He's like no. a steady cam costs 40 grand New Zealand. I made this for 20 bucks and yep. shit like that because he's a fucking genius. But uh, in, in the fight with uh, I keep wanting to say zombie because my <laughs> brain's broke right now. But uh, in the fight with Derek and uh, the aliens, Derek ends up getting thrown off the cliff. Ah, and he's bouncing. Yeah, and he, he falls, bounces, hits the ground, head busts, busts open, brains fly out. Right. So we've lost Derek at this point in the movie. We end up, I think there's more introduction with the rest of the boys, and there's some shit that happens. Like, Yeah, because you see, I think it's Barry's the one with the beard, which that guy didn't normally have a beard, I read. And he had, to, he had it for when they started filming the movie that weekend. He had to keep it for four years just okay. to do it. But remember, he's like, you don't want to use your six shooter because basically Derek's like their scientist and their lookout guy. Yeah. Right. And he talks on the radio and Barry, you, you see him like you, you just see a human that's dressed weird and he blows his fucking brains out. You see the brains fly on his face. So that's your first bit of gore in the movie as you're introduced to him. Yeah. That's the first kill. Because they're basically they're like the A-team. Right. And they get called in. Pretty much. And they're a bunch of badasses. But they regularly refer to themselves. I guess they're technically supposed to be like research scientists. Yeah. But they have guns and bazookas and they're not supposed to shoot unless they absolutely have to course it's the first thing they want to do right yeah no these guys are really rock and roll so to speak for yeah. being part of any kind of agency we actually end up like i said there's some other shit that happens but derek ends up waking back up yeah he realizes it's a fucking hilarious scene because he realizes that his head's busted open and his brains are out and he's like yeah. oh, and starts picking up the pieces of his brains and shoving them back right. into his skull it's really weird do you notice there's like seagulls or whatever eating parts yes. of his brain and their mouths are just like clamping. And then the way he moves his head, the bone moves and it looks like a, a bird beak. Did you yeah. notice that? It like replicates it. It is so fucked up and so funny at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, so he collects his thoughts. And, uh, <laughs> is that what we're calling that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the rest of the boys end up making it to the house. Right. And they find Giles. And yeah. at this point, Giles is in like a big. 55 gallon drum with 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> He's got the apple in his mouth and shit. Cause they're like fucking roasted him. And, uh, they find the boxes of, of the human victims, the, uh, Lord crumb. Who's like the leader. Right. He's standing at the top of the stairs and he's calling all the aliens. Cause we're saying aliens, but they look like humans. Right. Yeah, now. So I just, just to paint a picture in your head, if you hadn't seen this movie, cause this is still kind of like a out there movie that everybody's seen. Yeah. They're wearing like blue button ups. And like denim or something. I don't remember. They're yeah. all wearing identical yes. like cult outfit stuff. Except for Lord Crumb. He's an older gentleman in a suit or whatever. But yeah, they're all dressed the same, like sets out a place and terrible fucking wigs across the fucking map. And that's just because they use like the same eight people for every fucking scene. Well, yeah, that's shitty wigs everywhere. Exactly. So they the the boys are in the the kitchen room off to the side and hear the grand plan about right. Crumb's crunchy delights and all this stuff. 
And uh, Lord Crumb tells him to bring out the gruel. <laughs> well, while this is going on, which one of the boys, I forget their names, is the one that actually they one of the aliens comes into the kitchen. They kill him and he steals his clothes. I want to say it's Frank. Out there. It's Frank. It's the one that's like. I would almost say he's like the pretty boy out of him, right? He's got like the dark hair, clean yeah. haircut and he, stuff like that. He looks like the, ori- the original lead singer of Journey and shit. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Definitely that guy. But uh, he goes out there and he's standing out there with the other aliens here in the plan. He's like, but, and Lord Crumb is like, but for now, let's have the gruel. And <laughs> I think Barry has to hold the bowl too, right? <laughs> he does. It's like a big punch bowl. They just fucking hand it to him. Well, no, no, he doesn't. He goes in the kitchen and gets it, right? No, he doesn't hold it. He he keeps moving farther and farther yeah. down the line because he realizes what's going to happen. But uh, so they pick up Robert the alien. Right. Which is Peter again. Yeah. And he starts puking this nasty. It like, looks like steamy, green jello and yeah. tapioca and stuff. Here's what blew my mind watching that documentary. He shows the prop used for that. Yeah. I thought I, here's what I said. It, it's it's Peter Jackson. They pick him up. They hold him like he's going to do a keg stand. He pukes in a bowl. I assume there's a hose taped to the side of his exactly. cheek that you can't see, and it's just spraying. No, no, no. On the fucking good taste, a bad taste documentary, he shows where he got like dental plaster, took a deep breath because it has to set for sixty seconds, and just stuck his fucking head in a bowl. Yep. With his mouth open, trying to look all crazy, and then fucking put latex and shit in there, and he made a rubber head and put a wig on it, and they just had a funnel stuck in the back of the head that you couldn't see out of frame, and just kept pouring shit down there. Yep. But. I watched that documentary and then I went back to the movie. I watched the scene like five times. It looks like Peter Jackson. Yeah, dude. He fucking it, made this in his mom's kitchen and in the garage and shit. Exactly. Man. This guy, you know, in his early twenties was doing full face casts and dental alginate. And then, like you said, bacon fucking masks and shit in mom's oven. And mom's like, well, I guess we're having sausages tonight yeah. or whatever. <laughs> shit was so funny. <laughs> I mean, we can make Lloyd Kaufman comparisons. No. But Lloyd Kaufman did not have anything on the special effects. No, 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 no. I mean, this movie, I'm sure, had a smaller budget than most trauma movies and had, like, special effects that are actually pretty up there in quality, especially yeah. for the time. Yeah, we'll get into that towards the end of it and what happened with uh, right. New Zealand. But anyways, they're uh, so that he pukes all the, all the gruel into the bowl and then they're <laughs> passing it down the line and each alien's taking a drink of it. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, he keeps moving farther and farther yeah. down the line to avoid it. And by the time it gets to him, he, he's like, oh, God, oh, God. And he takes a little sip and he's like, mm. <laughs> and then they have to snatch the bowl back away from him. Now, what's interesting is what Peter Jackson said about that is they they made it and it tastes great. OK. And then he said, it's too thin. I want it thicker. And then by the time they actually did that shot, they finished and he was like, that's great. What'd you use to thicken it up? And the guy was like, I just got some dirt from out in the yard. So when they're drinking it in that scene, (laughs) allegedly they had thrown a bunch of dirt in it to thicken it up. But so the boys, they know what's going on now. They basically regroup and form their plan of attack on on the house. This involves a rocket launcher. Yeah. We're going (laughs) to, because. Who is it that keeps wanting to get the rocket launcher out? And the other it's guy Ozzie, keeps telling it, is right? it Ozzy? I think so. I mean, and the I'm other one keeps telling it's like, oh, we're not ready for that yet. <laughs> In our defense on these movies, we watched them like weeks ago because this was supposed to have been recorded right after Paranormal Activity. Yeah, that movie <laughs> fucked, us, fucked up the, the schedule. <laughs> and since Paranormal Activity got split in two, we moved this. And I didn't go back and rewatch the movie. So like the core is accurate here. We just might be mixing up like who Barry and Frank are. Yeah. So they end up there. There's an assault on the house. Yeah. Crazy friggin' gunfight, which there's all kinds of neat things that happen throughout this. I'm not going to go into all of it, except for the one where one of the guys is just shooting into the tree. Yeah. Yeah. And bodies just constantly keep falling it's out. It's just of like it. a cartoon. 
Um, but so while all these gunfights and shit's going on, we've got Derek making his way to the house because, you know, he's got some brain problems and he's tardy to the party. I think he's got, doesn't he have a tie tied around his head to keep that thing? Because every now and then it opens. It's his belt. Yeah, yeah, it's his belt. He looks ridiculous. uh, He makes his way back to his car and gets a fucking chainsaw. Right, right. And so by the time he gets to the house, he's got a chainsaw, but I'm, I think I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I know at one point, once he gets there, he fucks up a zombie and busts its head open. Zombie, sorry. What the fuck? <laughs> he busts opens a an alien's head and then takes some of its brain yeah. and adds it to his. Yeah, he's <laughs> fucked up. I mean, so this movie, like a gist of it, it's just you see the aliens, by the way, and their butts are like busted out of their pants. They have these giant heads. Yeah. And, and, well, during this fight, they finally, four of them show their true form and are yeah. like, let's get this shit on. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to do the Lord Crumb. He's just, he's hilarious. But for the most part of the movie, other than that Lord Crumb scene, it's literally just the boys running around having gunfights with a cult. Yeah. Right. Like that is the whole movie through and through. Eventually, I don't remember who shoots it, but somebody <laughs> shoots. Is it Derek shoots the rocket launcher? into the house <laughs> and it goes in one window and out the other window. Well, no, that's the second rocket. He shoots the first rocket and he and blows, blows up, up the, the co- whole corner of the house. That's right. And then later in the movie, Derek corners Lord Crumb because Lord comes like, let's get the fuck out of here. And he runs upstairs and Derek comes in with the chainsaw. And at that time he shoots the rocket and the rocket like goes through the hole in the corner of the wall over Lord Crumb's shoulder and fucking Derek just casually leans over to the that's side right. and it goes out. Oh, it's not just a hole in the wall. He cuts a hole in the wall with the chainsaw shaped exactly like him with the chainsaw. Yeah, but that's downstairs. Uh, oh, I thought oh, that's, that's no, the hole the rocket no, goes No, that's out. how he gets in the room. You're right, because yeah, the door's locked. That's the hole the rocket goes through, though. So he just kind of like <laughs> casually leans on the rocket, goes up this man-shaped hole in the back. It's very um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like yeah. that scene and like the shooting the guys out of the tree, yeah. you know. But we uh, we immediately cut from the rocket flying through the house to the sh- Pic, pic, picturesque scene of this one sheep on a hill and he goes and then blows the fuck up oh and it's a huge explosion too <laughs> but lord crumbs had enough he goes up to his command chair and the ship's gonna take off right and this is when we the like the yard is rolling up under yeah. the house and shooting you're like holy shit the house is a spaceship right and Which, speaking of spaceships somewhere in the movie peter jackson was a huge doctor who fan okay and somewhere in the movie there's a line i don't remember how it goes but there's uh i think it's when Barry's talking to Derek or something, but he says something about a spaceship landing and, and it's disguised. He's like a, a spaceship, like a phone box, you know, which is a Doctor Who reference. Yeah. And he actually, a few years ago, Peter Jackson finally got to direct a couple episodes of Doctor Who. Right. Really? Direct him. Yeah. Yeah. He did it fairly recently with Peter Capaldi. No shit. But uh, that man really lived all his dreams, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so as Crumb's taken off, Derek's the only one left in the house. Right. He ends up, I think, because Crumb gets the launch thing ready to go and gets back up out of the chair and that whole part's cheesy like the way it's just a phone and like yeah. the way the room looks and shit it's awesome though. but Derek ends up diving through the fucking floor <laughs> into Crumb's head and he's leading with the chainsaw <laughs> yes. and chains all the way through his fucking body plops out on the floor between his legs and goes I'm born again yeah <laughs> And then he, then he fucking put on the crumb meat suit. He puts on the crumb suit and goes and gets back in the chair. He uh, he goes, uh, I'm coming to get you bastards. Yeah. <laughs> he's got this little fucking chant and you just see the house spinning off into space, right? Yeah. And and some of the really neat things about this movie, you know, we talked about it was friends and coworkers, Peter Jackson doing all, doing all the effects. Um, like you said earlier, it took four years <laughs> to make the movie. So at the three-year mark, they had spent around 17000 New Zealand. Right. And that, I think it was around 11000 That was Peter Jackson's own money. Okay. And uh, 
They were so close to being done with it. He had actually brought the film to the New Zealand Film Commission a couple of times during production. They're like, we're not interested because right. there you don't release anything unless it's through them. Okay. And by the time he did the whole thing where he was editing it and had it over a hundred or not hundred minutes, had it over an hour, he took it back to him and they said, okay, we'll give you 35 K. Okay. And this is what gave us the spaceship houses. Okay. Okay. That's pretty much where all that money went was the couple okay. explosions. Well, no, some of the explosions were home. <laughs> the explosives were homemade too. I yeah. forgot about that. It's, you can see on that documentary, them testing them and them not blowing up the way they thought they should have and stuff like that. Yeah. But the house was actually a historic landmark. Yeah. The gear house. And Peter Jackson's dad was friends with the caretakers. Right. And he had said, Hey, my boy's shooting a movie. Can they come a couple of weekends and film in there? Not, you know, four, four years. years. <laughs> and, uh, it was really neat shit that happened by the time it was done. And then they had to dub all the audio. Right. Um, the New Zealand Film Commission stepped back in and they're like, okay, we're glad we put money into this. Let's take it to Cairns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the fucking movie sold to 10 markets in six days. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And just a couple of more little behind the scenes thing. Like he, he said something about that's how we get the houses. He actually built three yes. smaller versions of the house because they couldn't hurt the house in any way. Correct. So they built a, I think it was a five meter tall version of the house. Yeah. And the top corner could separate and that's where they did the air explosion to make it look like the rocket blew it up right yep and they could put it back together for extra takes and then they had a medium-sized version of the house and that one was used for the launch the launch yeah and they found a a, a wooded area that had the the backdrop looked identical so they could put these little houses there yep and then they had a small one that he actually made out of the film cans yep. that the film came in and he just put it on a record player. And that's, and that's the spinning house flying through space. Yeah. Because like, the guy is just a fucking genius. And there's some interesting things in there with the, 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 the first smaller house is that there's actually some exterior shots shot with like people in the background or mm -hmm. in the foreground using that house instead of the real house. Right. So that early Peter Jackson was already understanding how to make forced perspective. Yeah. yeah. Which fucking he got that shit down pat for Lord of the Rings. It's interesting that you brought up that the audio was recorded in post-production. Yeah. The actor that played Lord Crumb actually died before they did the audio work. So a different guy's doing his voice. That's what happens when you spend four years making one fucking movie, man. <laughs> right. But that's fucking crazy. So you got like one actor playing him, a different guy doing his voice because he, he fucking wasn't there to do it. But this movie was very, I mean, is it horror through and through? Not really. No, it's no. definitely categorized as a horror sci-fi movie. Well, but it's not scary. It's a lot of fun. And the time me and Josh saw this in our lives, we had been 15, 16. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when it was. I just know we both saw Dead Alive first. It's when I were, it was my first job in a movie theater. And uh, Mike, the ticket guy, those in the band and stuff, he yeah. loaned me Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles. Gotcha. And so we watched them both. You are not a Meet the Feebles fan. Okay. I think you actually went to sleep. That and I finished watching me. it. And then I ended up getting a collector's edition, which we wore out. But it, it, was, it was a huge part of our teenage years getting into horror early. And uh, because of his name, when I saw Dead Alive at the video store on VHS, I bought that motherfucker. And I'm like, Josh, for the night, <laughs> we got a Peter Jackson movie. It's a uh, it's a zombie flick, Dead Alive, 1992. Like I said, depending on where you're listening, I need to look at our metrics. We might have some New Zealand listeners, but yeah, we may. depending on where you live, it might be called uh, Brain Dead. Yeah. But yeah, it's Dead, Dead Alive to us here in the States in 92. You don't have very many cast members. You have like a couple little extras and... And small parts, but your main cast is Lionel, um, who lives with his mother, Vera, and she's like real overbearing and basically controls his life. Uh, from this point on, Lionel will be known as Kiwi Ash, because that's essentially <laughs> what it is. Peter Jackson's a huge Sam Raimi Evil Dead fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I just got to say, but Vera is very, uh, very Joan Crawford-esque yeah, in yeah. this movie. And then there's Paquita, who's like the, the shop owner's daughter. 
Yep, that works the counter the who Lionel's got a crush on. And uh, his uncle Les, who's an asshole, shows up. Uh, Paquita's grandma's in the movie. We'll kind of we'll kind of get to her. Yeah. But uh, this movie, I think it was the Werewolves episode where I kept saying Zingaya. Yeah. And I was like, I would have never thought I'd say Zingaya that much in a uh, in a werewolf episode, right? And that's kind of what <laughs> gave us idea to do Peter Jackson. Yeah. Um. But the movie, once again, it, it's filmed in New Zealand, and you're um. Uh, this movie doesn't have as cool of a backstory as Bad Taste because he's already had money, had already yeah. been established, already made a few movies. So we'll just kind of jump right into this one. But uh, you see a guy running with somebody who looks like a native. That's kind of like his guide, right? Through the jungle and the desert. And they have a cage with a Sumatran rat monkey. Yep. And the guy's telling them, the guide, like how they shouldn't take it. And they got to go. And basically like a bunch of uh, aborigines or tribesmen are chasing them and attacking them with spears because they don't want to take the fucking monkey. Yeah. And they're running and they're trying to get away. And he's got some, you know, some other guides in a Jeep. They hop in the Jeep. And of course the cage falls on him and he gets scratched a couple of times. Right. But right before that, I got to bring up the one thing. When they get him surrounded, he goes reaching into his oh, satchel yeah. and he's Save like, us. permit, yeah. permit. But they get in the Jeep and they realize, he's like, oh, that little bugger bit me. And they lock up the brakes in the Jeep. Yep. And the guy, and this is after the spears are getting thrown at him and they get away from the Aborigines and they kick him out of the ground and like, you got the bite, you know, and then zing guy and they cut his fucking hand off and it is pretty fucking gruesome. It's awesome. To I th- Honestly, I think that was probably the most gruesome scene this movie was the most gruesome movie i'd ever seen obviously because the gorgeous movie of all time yeah at that point in my life but that hand cut off i was like what the fuck and then they see uh what does he got it on his shoulder yeah so they cut the other arm off and then they see it on his forehead and you hear all three of the guys go zingaya and they chop his head off and then you get the blood splatters is dead alive right then these guys take this uh sumatran rat monkey that they're obviously afraid of and load them up in the Jeep and you see them take it to airport. Yeah. After all that shit, it still makes it to the zoo. <laughs> they take their money and they're sweating it too. And, uh, there's a little bit of backstory on the Sumatran rat monkey. They, they say somewhere in the movie, I think it's at the zoo that it's a hybrid rat and monkey. And there are rats that were from skull Island, which is where King Kong's from. And, uh, they raped the tree monkeys and therefore they're cursed creatures. Yeah. They also pop up in King Kong in the ship. Like the shield, the crates down there. And one of them says like Sumatran rat monkey, beware of the bite yeah. on the box. Like I remember seeing that in theaters and catching that. But at the beginning, when they first reveal where they're, they're at before they're, it shows them with the monkey, it actually says Skull Island and then the date. Oh, okay. So we, we yeah, but yeah, yeah, Jesse, you're exactly right. It goes ahead and ties that to Skull Island and, and uh, Skull Island goes ahead and references back to the Sumatran rat monkey later. Right, right. But then you cut to Kiwi Ash. Or Lionel. <laughs> Josh isn't going to be able to keep a straight face. He's Kiwi Ash, though, right? By the end of the movie, By you see what I'm saying? Movie, absolutely. You can tell his mom's like just super domineering and she's making him do the lawn, polish the silver. Like, this is daily stuff. This isn't weekly or monthly chores. And she's just like, you can tell he hates her and she's just a terrible person. And she's trying to get in the WLWL, which I don't, it's the something, something women's league, right? The, the Wellington Ladies Welfare League or something, something like that. Yeah. And you cut to the shop, right? Like the grocery store and you're introduced to Paquita because it does like you have that like Sumatran rat monkey scene and then it just shows you characters. Here's Vera. Here's Lionel. Here's Paquita. And you see like the delivery truck driver or somebody and he's like uh, flirting with her and she's kind of into him. And then her grandma pulls in the back. And oh, my God, the grandma, I swear, is the witch from Drag Me to Hell. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Looks just like exactly. But the grandmother's like, that might not be the man for you. Let's let's do a reading. It is a tarot card reading of Paquita. And she pulls the cards and she's laying them out and she's like, this is you. 
this is the man. And she's like, Roger. And she's like, no, 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 it's not Roger. Yeah. Uh, he's like a chosen man. And you're going to see the symbol of the star and this, this and that. And I don't remember. Does she see like that? It's doom or curse coming or that's later. Okay. Okay. I thought that might be later, yeah. but then she hears the bell ding and goes and it's Lionel there to pick up the groceries. And she really doesn't want to talk to him. No. Right. Like she's brushing them off. He's smiling at her. And then a bunch of shit gets knocked over like pencils or something. Yeah, it's pencils and uh, uh, licorice. Yeah, and it makes the shape of the star. So then she's immediately hitting on him. And because uh, this is supposed to be her true love, according to her grandmother. And of course, Kiwi Ash is going with it, man, because he's already into her, right? Yeah. And I guess they immediately go on the date to the zoo, right? It happens pretty quick right there after it because uh, she ends up. There's not well, a lot of exposition. This movie cuts no, fast. Well, yeah, it cuts back to the the whole scene with the WLWLs come and clean the house, and he's mowing the lawn. Yeah, yeah. And she comes up and she's like, "I Polish- like, I like to go to zoo." Yeah, yeah. Because his, his mom's like, "Polish the silver." He's like, "I did it three days ago." And she's like, "Polish it again." Yeah. And he blows her off, goes with Paquita and and Vera, the mom, sees him leaving. So she's you know worst fucking nightmare you could have. His mom stalks him on his date, right? Yeah. And he's got to be. Late 20s, early 30s. Exactly. So, I mean, we're not talking about like a fucking 17 or 18 year old here. So she stalks him on their date to the zoo and they're going around. They're having a nice little time and she butts up against a cage and she's watching them. And I think they get close like they're about to kiss or something. And then what happens? So watching Rat Monkey comes through the cage and bites her on the shoulder and she's screaming and bleeding. And she actually crushes the little fucker's head and kills it right there. Well, first it rips the the arm off of a monkey in the adjoining cage. Yeah. Which is pretty graphic, uh, too, right? Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Because the, I mean, the rat monkey, it's, I mean, did he stop motion that, you think? In that scene, it's stop motion, and that's when the the guy that works at the zoo says the whole story about the raping of the tree monkeys and all that stuff. Yeah, Skull Island and all that. But then you're right, mom gets bit and then stomps his head and his eyeball pops out. Oh, yeah, she murders the shit out of it. And she's like, I've been assaulted. And Lionel, of course, as soon as he hears the scream, he's like, mom, you know, and he goes and finds her. Take me home, Lionel. Yeah, and Paquita's trying to be helpful, but Vera doesn't want her to come, right? Exactly. So they go home, and she starts getting sick fast. Like, she's fading, fever. She, I mean, she looks fucking dead already, yeah. right? The WLWL just randomly shows up at the house. Well, no, it's the morning of, and and he's waking her up, and he's like, oh, Mom, you look terrible. Let me call uh, Nurse McTavish. Yeah, yeah. And she springs up, and she's like, no, the WLWL. <laughs> she can barely talk, because she's just, like, fucking falling apart. So yeah, the WLWL shows up and it's a, it's a husband and wife, right? And Lionel's got to get food together really quick. Cause you can tell that like, cooks and prepares everything for his mom. No. And this is about to be one of the most fucked up eating scenes in a movie <laughs> that still disturbs me this day. And I can't look at pudding right, but he has a meal and his mom's like trying to put on makeup and like her part of her ear looks like it's about to fall off and her cheeks falls over and he yeah. like crazy glues her cheek back on Yeah, and they get her down there and she can barely talk and she's like wheezing just something fucking awful. And like, um, no dessert. Like the guy gets mad. He's like, this is outlandish, you know? And he's like, well, I'll go make some pudding. And the guy's like, oh, I haven't had a good pudding or a good custard or whatever. Yeah. It's custard, right? Yeah. I know Vera's ear falls off in her custard and she eats it. Well, she's And the it, wife sees that, right? She's itching at the bandage on her yeah. arm first and it splurts Flats, blood yeah. and pus into his oh. bowl. So yeah, this blood and pus shoots across <laughs> the room, goes into his bowl. And he's mixing it up and you just see him eating a spoonfuls of this pudding with the blood and pus yeah, in it. And the wife talking. sees it. Fucks me up every time. It makes me nauseous. And then the wife looks at Vera and her fucking ear falls off in her pudding and she like scoops it up and eats it. 
And she's like, we got to go, go. We got to yep. get the fuck out of here. You know? And the, the husband's like, good man, Lionel, good pudding, you know? Yeah. A funny thing I have to say about that scene is the first time I saw that movie, when I had gotten it from my cousin's video store, I was literally sitting, eating a bowl of ice cream during right. that scene. Oh. I'm never going to forget it because my mom came in there and she's like, so what kind of movie did you pick? And she's looking at her eating her ear oh. at that point. She's like, I'm just going to leave you in here. <laughs> Probably your mom didn't <laughs> shut it off. <laughs> um, but Paquita ends up at the house with her dog. Yeah. And uh, she's telling Lionel she had a good time. She'd like to go out and the dog runs in the house. And for some reason, they both just accept that that happened. <laughs> and they go to get the dog and there's just fucking blood and hair all over the bed. Right. Well, you don't see that yet. They come upstairs and it's a tight shot of Vera like writhing and there's yeah. something furry hanging out of her mouth. Yeah. And it's like the tip of the dog tail and he just pulls it. And it just keeps coming out. And this whole thing you get Bikita's like. Your mother ate my dog. And it's like one of the best quotes in the fucking movie. Well, not only that, but then the camera goes from the tight shot and immediately does a fast widening of the blood and guts everywhere. And he goes, not all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, does she die at that point? I think we, well, no, she dies in, in Lionel's arms at the bottom of the stairs. Oh, because she tries to run off and falls down the stairs, yeah. right? But I mean, like, so she dies that day. Yeah, because she's not publicly dead yet. Yeah. Right. So she falls and yeah, he gets the nurse to come by. And she attacks the nurse. Vera does and yep. bites her. Right. Yep. But she, she kills nurse McTavish. Nurse McTavish gets up and, and she is now a zombie as well. Right. I think he just throws Vera and, and the nurse in the basement and locks it up. And okay. then he goes and he finds this German doctor that has tranquilizers and his lab coats torn up. And there's like a Nazi Gestapo armband and stuff. Well, it's the and swastika. He, yeah. He buys the fucking tranquilizers off of him. Right. Cause what's he say is like, I do not have sedatives. I have tranquilizers. Yeah, tranquilizers. Yeah. I do have. So he buys the tranquilizers, and I guess he's keeping, he keeps Vera and Nurse McTavish tranked in the basement, That's right? right? He goes to the grocery store to see Paquita. Yep. And Vera busts out of the basement, and she's walking, stalking him, basically, still, even as a zombie. Yeah. And the train hits her, and she goes flying through the air and crashes through the glass display of the grocery store and lands in there. Of course, the whole city's seen this woman get hit by a train, and she's dead now. Yep. So now she's pronounced dead. And we have the funeral and the, um, it's so fucked up. Like he's trying to sneak back there and trank her yeah. before the funeral. Cause he knows she's going to set up after a little while. And Peter Jackson is the, um, mortician's assistant and he left the machine on and he's trying to eat a sandwich and he looks just like he does his Derek in bad taste. Right. Yeah. Well, a little heavier, but yeah. Yeah. And there's like green shit shooting out of her mouth and nose and eyes. And she's like super fat cause they over embalmed her. Yep. And they uh, wheel her out to the funeral and they're actually having the church service and he sneaks in the back, right? The trinker because the curtain's closed, right? No, he actually, I don't think they wheel her in because don't they bust through a stained glass window on the side, so- off to the side? I, I knew that like the, the church service is going on and he's trying to trink her and she gets back up and they bust like a curtain window wall or something in the middle of the church service. Yeah. The priest is like, Jesus, Lionel, I know you might be you know, distraught, but this is crazy. And he's just um, holding his mom and he, he basically tries to make it look like he missed her and he was hugging her, right? Yeah, he's just <laughs> deeply disturbed. But after this, we get to one of my favorite parts of the movie. Like, you see these, like, greaser punk guys. I mean, I don't know how, like, the times and the eras worked in New Zealand. Yeah. But they got the leather jackets and, like, the pompadours. Yeah, it's, and the, it, it's the late 50s. And, um... They're going to the graveyard and they're drinking and Lionel's there because, of course, he's got to drug his mom. Right. Yeah. And uh, do they catch him like they think he's grave robbing or something? They they're think like, you're a fucking sicko. Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. And they're beating him up a little bit and they're holding him. And then the, the head greaser starts pissing on her tombstone. Right. And he's yeah. like, you're pissing on my mom. You know, and uh, of yeah, course, Boyd, he's the one that actually has a name. Yeah. And uh, fucking 
zombie hand comes out of the ground and basically yanks, yanks the dude's junk off. You don't actually see it, but you know what happened. You can feel it in your parts, you know? <laughs> of course, the zombies start attacking the greasers, and the priest comes out like, what the hell's going on here? And uh, I, one of my favorite lines, you know, it's like, it's time for divine intervention. I kick ass with the Lord. Exactly. And, and he's like a Kung Fu priest. Yeah. And he's like fucking whooping all the zombies asses. And he actually takes them out roundhouse kicks, like little flip kicks and stuff. But he kicks one of the zombies heads off. Yeah. And it flips to the air. And he's like dusting his hands off because he just did God's work. Fucking head lands on his shoulder and bites him. Yeah. Because in, in the whole commotion, they all three of the greasers get turned very right. quickly. And I don't know what happens to the rest of the greasers because all you see is the priest and Boyd in the basement. Well, the one gets his arms and legs and head ripped off. Oh, yeah, by the priest. He fucked him up, man. But you're right. The third one, I don't remember. I, I mean, even when I was watching the movie like two or three weeks ago when we were supposed to record this, like I rewound it. And I'm like, they just kind of glossed over that. Yeah. I mean, I get because the one with the arms and legs ripped off, I think it's the same one that's head gets kicked yes. off. So, I mean, I guess it's technically dead because it got dismembered. Yeah. But there should have been another one. Yeah. Well, and then and then they. I think some of them get away, though. And that's what I think. And then later on in the movie, they totally make that not even matter anymore because of what happens with reanimated parts. But we have Void, who's now now turned as well. Right. Which is important later. (laughs) But basically, like I said, it, it cuts and you see the greaser. You see the priest. You see Vera. You see Nurse McTavish. They're all tied up in the basement. And. Uh, fucking Lionel's trying to feed them food, right? And yeah, like it looks like tens of cat food or some shit. Yeah, and they're actually they're kind of listening to him to an extent, right? And yeah. he tranks the food, of course. And uh, the priest starts like hitting on the nurse and rubbing her thighs and doing the eyes. And is is this when he gets like a knock at the door, right? <laughs> yes, this is when Uncle. Oh yeah, Uncle shows Les up. shows up with the herpaderp on his lip and the fucking <laughs> UTI because he's been. We don't want to know what he's been banging, but some he's, uh, he's been banging uh, bad bitches. Oh, my God. Bad in the wrong way. But uh, he's sitting there and obviously you get the idea that he's wanting uh, to get Vera's money because it's a nice house. And obviously there's some money in the family. Yeah. And you can hear like the nurse moaning and the table creaking as the fucking priest just laying into her in the basement. So you got two zombies fucking downstairs. And of course, Uncle Les like, oh, did you find your dad's old stag films? Yep. And he's like, "Uh, yeah, you know, and he's like, is that the one with the donkey or something fucked up? The donkey and the chambermaid. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he he ends up getting Uncle Les out of the house. But this is where one of the most fucked up things ever happens. The Nurse McTavish very quickly has a zombie baby. Yeah, real quick. And uh, I mean, like, I'm talking about, like, it looks like she got pregnant, popped thing out next day. For some reason, Lionel thinks it's a good idea to, like, put it in a baby carrier and, like, take it to the I park know, and right? shit. Like, he makes some terrible decisions. Kiwi ash. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, you're but, cracking me up, man. But the the park scene's really funny. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually, I found the entire thing on YouTube, so you can watch it. And it's it's really weird because it's a, I say it's a baby, but it's probably supposed to be, like, a one or two-year-old because the way it popped, you know, the giant zombie baby. Yeah. And it gets up, and it, it's crawling sometimes, and sometimes it's running around, and it's clearly, like a full grown person yes. running around and, uh, and, and people see him like beating the fucking baby with the swing and shit and punching it, trying to knock it out. Yeah. It's like hyperactive this one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, and it's just like, it's a ridiculously out of place scene that I'm so glad's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like you need it. It is so over the top, but it is another one of those times where, like you said, with the full size adult in the same costume that right. we do get an attempt at some more of the force perspective shots. Yeah. It didn't work that time. It didn't work um, on that one. But he ends up back at the house with the baby in a duffel bag that he keeps punching in the fucking face. <laughs> and Uncle Les is in the house and came out of the basement. Well, all the zombies are tranked. So they just look like corpses. Yep. And Uncle Les is like, you know, we're family. We got to protect our own. You know, if you give me all your mom's money, maybe I won't have to report you. You won't have to go to the nut house. Yep. 
And, and the he, house, too. He wants yeah. the money and the house. And so, so Kiwi Ash agrees to it. He's lying all at this point. He's not earning his Kiwi Ash yet. And he gives in to Uncle Les. And uh, Uncle Les tells him to get rid of the fucking stiffs and has the biggest party I've ever seen in my life. Like, just out of nowhere. Yep. Like 100 people just start coming in with cases of booze. Right. And they're ready to rock and they're dancing and they got the music on. And, of course, Uncle Les, like, to get rid of the stiffs. And he did. He buried all the bodies. Yeah, he right? buried them. So he buries all the bodies. And uh, he gave them a different kind of medicine to like kill them, I think, didn't he? Or is it the same one? He, it's a different medicine. It says poison on it. Yeah. And uh, But then he realizes it says it doesn't work on... When they bust out of the ground, the bottle rolls across the floor, and there's another part of the label that's torn off, and it says poisonous to humans, warning animal stimulant. Yeah. Which yeah. makes no fucking sense, yeah, know, but okay. Peter Jackson needed it. He made it, right? It was a MacGuffin. Yeah. Um, so, but... You get this cool scene, all the zombies, not all of them, but most of the zombies jumping out of the dirt and they go through the the house and through the party. And there's like, like I said, over a hundred people in here. And this is where you get the glorious movie alive started. They're just fucking ripping people apart, dismembering them, biting them. And just the whole room just starts turning and everybody's turning and everybody's running in disarray. And you got Paquita shows up, right? Because yep. Uncle Les is hitting on her. So you got Paquita hiding in the kitchen with this other woman. And you got Lionel trying to figure out what's fucking going on, and he's getting separated. And you got Uncle Les fucking hiding, and it's just just fucking mayhem. And you get some crazy scenes here. You get yeah. If we tried to go through the this entire act shot by shot, it would take forever. Yeah. So I mean, it's just <laughs> I just know some of the key things that happen yeah. is you get this one woman zombie gets thrown onto a light bulb, and like her head's glowing the whole time. So that shit's crazy. Yep. Uncle Les with the meat cleavers. Yes, it's fucking he fantastic. Goes yeah, I mean, he's just basically, it looks like he's doing a drum solo, and the camera zoomed in on him, it's just swinging, and there's just fucking blood and guts flying everywhere, and it pans out, and there's just body parts everywhere. Yeah. You have Paquita taking dismembered body parts and putting them in a blender, Yep. because the parts are moving on their own. We we have the uh, all the internal organs of the greaser dude yeah. running around the house trying to get Lionel. Yeah, because he chases Lionel, and he gets cut in half somehow trying to crawl through like the broken hole in the door, Yeah. and then Lionel like sets him on the toilet. And flushes it, and it pulls all of his intestines and, and lungs and heart out, which now becomes its own character. Yeah. So you have a pile of guts walking around, and they, like, make facial expressions, the butthole farts. Yeah. It prays when it thinks it's going to die. Yes. Honestly, it's the worst part of the movie to me, but it's there, and Fuck I'll take that, it. man. I love that I, shit. I, I had a feeling you loved it. I didn't. Um, and let's see. Is there any other crazy-ass shit until we get to the... The fucking, the best part. Um, Lionel gets out, though. Well, there's the one dude that gets his head chopped off and gets put through some kind of rolling press. Yeah. And all of his insides scored out of his neck. And Um, it's just, you're like, man, I could never see anything that's gory. Then Kiwi Ash goes to the lawn shed, gets the fucking lawnmower, straps it to himself, cranks this son of a bitch, and he goes into the room, and he just runs. And it's like literally 100 zombies having a party in a room. Yeah. And he just fucking runs in a straight line mauling them. And he just keeps running. It's like some zombies ain't my neighbor shit on Super Nintendo, man. Just fucking running. And there's parts flying everywhere. Clearly, this scene was taken from Night of the Creeps. But it doesn't matter. Peter Jackson can do whatever the fuck he wants. (laughs) What's really fun, one thing I want to point out in that shot is, you know, like, usually you just see the wild shot of somebody with the whatever item chopping things up and then it's over. He does the first run through the whole group and you're like, okay, well, you just ran through the middle of them. Now what? And it, he turns around (laughs) and it shows the path he Uh, mowed and then they all lean in like, and, and then the rest of it happens. Like the blood is ankle deep and he's like slipping on it. So then he starts looking for body parts and he's running on the body parts. Like they're stepping stones in a river. And uh, he kills all of them. Like yep. you, he, you just see guts and blood and everything. It is fucking horrifically awesome. 
And that earns him the title Kiwi Ash right there. <laughs> but then I, I don't know if he realizes his mom hadn't popped up or what, but Vera brushed out of the ground and she is a giant zombie Vera Sumatran rat monkey hybrid. Yeah. Well, I, I don't like, know why. She is a giant Henrietta Sumatran rat yeah, monkey yeah, yeah. crossword, but uh, Les is in the basement when yeah. she comes out. Yeah. Cause, and she kills, she kills Les. So he gets his and she ends up on the roof. And I, I know there's like, she can talk too. Like all of a sudden zombie Vera can talk. Yeah. And they have dialogue and she shoves, I don't know if she swallows him or just shoves him straight in her womb. She goes, uh, no, I will love you like your mother and opens up her stomach. Yeah. And, and puts him so in So he's her. back in the womb, but he has the uh, star necklace that came from Paquita's grandmother. And yeah. I think he uses that to cut his way back out. Yep. And the house is on fire. And so what's left of the parts and stuff are burning. And uh, I don't remember how, but Vera gets knocked into... She, the house into the fire. Yeah, he, he cuts his way out, and but due to the fire, shit's collapsing, and she falls yeah. back into the house, which is another horse perspective thing with yeah. her down on the ground, actually, not on the roof. I and know the, I keep bringing this right, shit right. up, but... And then the fire trucks start coming in. You can hear the baby crying in the house. Yeah. Well, I think they even show it. It's just I think sit, so. It's sitting there holding its, it's little yeah. teddy or something, just... Ah! The baby's so fucking creepy. Yeah. But, uh, I mean... It is a solid fucking zombie movie. Yeah, um, it it's is. the first zombie movie besides Night of the Living Dead that I ever liked because I don't like all zombie movies. The no. list is small. It is the craziest fucking gore infested thing I've ever seen. Absolutely. And uh, somehow this got this guy the money to make Lord of the Rings. Well, the I other mean, there's other movies after it, but this was a big part to get him going. Well, the other interesting part of why I like this movie so much is the subplot with kiwi ash's dad mm -hmm. because throughout the oh, movie yeah. he's having these these flashbacks because he says that his dad drowned yeah and he keeps having these flashbacks to a blonde woman being drowned and in a tub and uh when the chases go when all hell is breaking loose he ends up in the attic and he finds a trunk being chased by the organs yeah. don't get me started on the organs again and uh <laughs> what he figures out is that it's an old enough movie i'm giving it away yeah that uh because Les, Uncle Les makes jokes about how his, you'll never be like your dad. He was a real hit with the birds. Yeah. And uh, Vera caught him cheating. Right. And she fucking drowned them both. Yeah. yeah. And the, the woman's corpse is in the trunk, right? Yeah. yeah and stuff like that. So, so it's got some layers to it. It's not just a gorehound movie. Simon Pegg says it was his main influence for Shaun of the Dead. Yep. Which I can see that. You know. Oh, yeah. Uh, interesting facts. They shot the movie in 11 weeks, which that's pretty quick shooting schedule. Yeah. Especially for what happens in it. And the final scene was 300 liters of blood. I would have, I'd have to foreigners, look at, What is that in the standard system? I know, I know, I know. I'm just kidding. Just think about it this way. It's uh, 150 Coke bottles of blood. Hey, hey, that's the American way to do it. There you go. Um, that's fat Americans. Yeah, it, it's fucking fantastic. And this is one of them that, uh, I mean, I used to watch it a couple times a year, but now I at least watch it every couple of years. So yeah. I go back over and over again. And uh, he had some other movies in between there, but his next horror movie was not until 96. Yep. And this was like his first big mainstream release, like just fucking worldwide theater launch. And it was the Frighteners starring Michael J. Fox. Take it how you will with this movie. I enjoyed watching it when it's new. Yeah. Um, the special effects were cutting edge digitally for the, time. for the time. Some of them still look amazing. Some of them. Some of them don't. <laughs> However, um, and I'm, I guess before we jump into it, like it's, I'm just going to say it. So, We'll break down the movie a little bit, but brief synopsis of the movie is Michael J. Fox plays Frank Bannister, and he's a con man. He is a detective. He can actually see two ghosts. He has two ghosts that live with him. Actually, three, right? He's got yeah. the judge, Cyrus, and Stuart. Yep. 
and he hands out his business cards at like funerals and wherever he can saying that he's like a psychic detective and his ghost buddies that he can see and talk to go and possess or haunt the house. The card appears, the people call him. He comes in with like a squirt gun with holy water and this little fucking <laughs> doohickey that he made. And he gives some speech about ectoplasm and he charges enormous fee for exercising the house. Right. Yep. That's the gist of the movie. And he occasionally sees like uh, the first couple that he helps. He got in a car accident and tore up a guy's fence. He owes the guy money, right? Yeah. All of a sudden they get possessed and the house shows up and the wife calls. And this is Ray and Lucy Linsky, right? And Ray doesn't believe in it. He thinks he's full of shit. He doesn't want to pay him anything. But after he's done exercising the house, he sees a number carved in Ray's head. I think it's like 37 or something, right? Yeah. And it's on fire. And he says, what's on your head? And Ray's like, get out of here. I don't want to hear any more of your bullshit. And you can tell that it bothers Frank, and he's asking the ghost, which one of you wise guys did this? Yeah. And they're like, not I. And that's when you get introduced to the judge. He's like an old cowboy, and he can like shoot at the ghost a little bit. These guys look fantastic. Yeah. Still to this day. They're like that blue glow. They kind of look like um, Jedi Force Ghost, right? Yeah. Like, it's a good way to say it, right? But a lot more detail. Yeah. And a lot more there and a, and a lot more interactive. And that part looks great. But you also cut to like a, a asylum or a mansion. It's a mansion, right? Yeah. And you see D. Wallace running around in the fucking house, which we all know her from what howling. That's e. like a lot of shit. Uh, the critters. <laughs> What's that werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom in it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love her from the critters because she's the mom in that movie. Big fan of that movie. But so you see D. Wallace running around and she's being chased. And this is where the special effects are a little wonky. The Grim Reaper is basically chasing her through the house, and it's just like a floating cloak. It floating around the room still looks okay. Looked amazing back then. Yeah. However, it like it it'll be in the wall and she'll go by the wall and the wall kind of reaches out. Looks fucking terrible by today's standards. But if you think about it, there was no other way to shoot that movie that had not been done other than maybe like Freddie poking through the wall and I run on street. But that was just like his hands pushing. Yeah. You never had anything running through the wall like that. Exactly. And there's the, there's like the carpeted stairs and he goes up under yeah. it and shit, too. There was a lot. The movie has over 500 CG shots. Yeah. So, so to. There's a lot dated, but like (laughs) that just goes to show him being a visionary. Yes. Undoing that. But what you end up finding out, and I don't really want to jump all over this movie, but there's just not that much to it. Right. You find out that there was a serial killer. Yep. And Johnny Bartlett, Johnny Bartlett. And it's uh, Jake Busey. He's fucking crazy in the movie. He's great in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he was like an orderly at a a hospital and he was a serial killer and he went in with a shotgun and knives and Murdered a bunch of people and had like an assistant that was a little girl that he's in love with, which is D. Wallace's character, right? Yeah. And he's like, I got me a score of 12, you know, and he starts comparing himself to other serial killers. Yeah. He got the chair and got killed. But what you find out is he carved or he had the girl carve the numbers into his victim's heads to count them, right? Yep. What you find out is that Michael J. Fox was an architect, wealthy, and got into a car accident with his wife. He was drunk. They're fighting over a basketball court versus a garden. And he put the basketball court in, right? Yep. Gets in a car wreck and he wakes up and he finds his wife dead with 13 carved in her forehead. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say, because it was the car wreck was what the, was the tragic events that gave him the ability to right, see right, the other right. side. And that was the first time he saw the number. Yeah. Because everybody's dying of heart attacks. Yeah. yeah they're, they're dying of heart attacks. And that's why I want to know which one of you wise guys puts the number on the guy's head. Yeah. But it was like 37 or something on Ray's head. His wife was 13. But Johnny Barlett was dead by then. Exactly. Right. So something fucked up happened. But the gist of it, you see the Reaper, like through Michael J. Fox's perspective, and he reaches into people's chest basically and squeezes their hearts. Yeah. So it looks like they have a heart attack. There's like a reporter that, you know, is reporting on him being like a scam artist. And, you know, it looks like he's 
maliciously going after her. And of course, she's one of the victims. Yeah, there's a huge fuck up there. When he comes into her office and she's holding the newspaper. Right. There's a shot of the wife at her husband's funeral who hasn't died in the movie yet. Oh, okay. Is okay. what's on the newspaper. There's a couple little fuck ups in the movie. <laughs> But so, uh, I, I mean, it's just, I didn't, you know, so, so the gist of it is he's got to stop this Grim Reaper. I really wish they would explain how he became a Grim Reaper. He says he got out of hell. I'm assuming yeah. he made a pact with something to be a Grim Reaper, but he's using his Grim Reaper status to go around and murder people to get a score higher. Yep. Okay. Michael J. Fox has got to try to stop him. An FBI agent comes in. That is the best part of the fucking movie. It's Agent Milton and it's Jeffrey Combs from the reanimator. And he is so fucking creepy in this movie. And it's like a Hitler haircut. That was not Peter Jackson. He thought that if he had the haircut and looked like Hitler, it would, it would just kind of fit. But the story of this guy is he's lived undercover with cults for like 20, 30 years, <laughs> having to worship every demon and deity there is. And his body's like scarred with like tattoos and shit from symbols. He's got like a lead vest because he think Michael J. Fox is blowing people's hearts up with yeah, psychic cause, powers. Because he talks about going all the way back to being a member of the Manson yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I, mean, I was a member of the Manson family. But, um, you know, and he's like talking to Michael J. Fox and he, he's like, you're trying to you're trying to stop my heart now, aren't you? It won't work, motherfucker. I got my lead vest on. Yeah. And he is hands down my favorite part of the movie. He's great. He's bonkers. And but eventually Dr. Lucy, because. Lucy and, and Frank become close. Yeah. She stops his heart. He's a ghost. He kind of figures out the whole thing. Yeah. They, they, they do the whole uh, flatliners thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Milton tries to stop him from coming back. This, this, and that. You you find out that he's working with D. Wallace's character. I can't think of her name off the top of my head right now. Patricia? Yeah. Okay. And, um, and that the mom's trying to cover up the whole thing. Uh, there's a missing box cutter for Michael J. Walks, uh, Michael J. Fox's toolbox. Yes. And uh, he thinks that's the one that's being used to carve the numbers. Yeah. And, and he finds shit. it in Patricia's house. And it's because Patricia used it when she carved it into his wife's head. Exactly. So his wife was the first victim. Yep. Right. And and essentially they got to get his ashes because she has the ashes. Right. And she uses that. They, they trap his ghost in the ashes. They got to get it into holy ground. Yep. So they're trying to use the sanctuary of the asylum. We murdered everybody. Eventually he gets yanked to hell. Okay. Let's just, I mean, let's just jump to it. Like yeah. that happens. But the movie, like, it's not scary, has lots of ghosts. It does a shitty job of trying to look like the United States and New Zealand. Yeah. The cars are out of place. Michael J. Fox is fantastic in it. Okay, now that one, he's not bad. Yeah. But here's the vibe I get watching him in this movie, and it's like he took Bill Murray and Ghostbusters Uh and Bruce Willis and anything else Uh and mashed those together. And it's weird. Let me ask you this. Try to think of another actor you think could have done the role better. It's like Back to the Future. It was made for him. (sighs) The sad thing is, like... This and Mars Attacks came out the same year, but this Mars Attacks was filmed first. Yeah. This is the last movie he filmed. He said that he retired from making movies because he didn't want to be away from his family. It was actually the Parkinson's that kicked in yep. at this point. And he didn't want to tell anybody. You can tell yep. when you're watching the movie. Um, so, you know, I kind of factored that in a little bit, but I find him entertaining in the movie. Yeah. The CGI is overdone. Way overdone. But it is used in ways that they couldn't have done scenes. Like uh, Stuart, the nerdy ghost. Sticking his head in the radiator and getting sucked into, yep. like the fan and stuff Going like that. The car. And then shout out like Peter Jackson wanted scenes they had never been done before. There wasn't a way to do it. Way to do it. He fucking made it. Yeah. All right. So I mean, like we're here to talk about the director. So even yeah. though it's dated, he made crazy shit happen. One that and- affects the that CGI that ended up becoming the Urkai and everything in Lord of the Rings. I yeah. mean, everything he did in this movie was the special effect for Lord of the Rings yep. in the end. The uh, 35 of the silicon graphics computers 
or what they purchased to run the effects on. Right. And then they turned around and used those for Lord of the Rings. Every shot you see with a spectral ghost, yeah. uh, not the Grim Reaper, but well, the Grim Reaper too. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. Everything you see with the, the spectral ghost, like his two assistants and everything and the judge and the dog, every one of those are shot with motion control cameras. Right. They, none of these were filters added on later. So yeah. all the dialogue between ghosts and people, they weren't standing there. Right. Right. Um, it was hella ambitious, but it's all the little things that add up the New Zealand shooting in New Zealand and trying to make it look like the U S pisses me off because <laughs> it makes it feel like there's something just off about right. when I first saw the movie. I didn't know that. I just knew there was something off. Yeah. And we kind of blew through this one, and it's because this is one of those movies that whenever I think about it, I'm like, that's not a bad movie. And then I watch it, and 10 minutes later, I can tell you five things about it. Like, it just doesn't stick right. with me. And if you've never seen The Frighteners, fucking rent it. Watch it. It's a good movie. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, watch it at least one time. It's fun. Yeah. There's some great comedy with uh, Shy McBride. Um, yeah. Cyrus. Yeah. And, and he's hilarious. And it's Stuart, you know, give or take. Nah. There was some cool shit in the movie, though. So, like, the cheesiest part of the movie to me kind of has a cool backstory. When you go to the graveyard, Arlie Ermey is uh, there, and he's basically the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. And you can tell he's super in control of his ghost powers. Like, he can make machine guns and shoot things. He yep. can turn into a boxer and hit Michael J. Fox. Doesn't like Michael J. Fox. He's like, get the fuck off my cemetery. Yeah, he's king of the castle as far as the fucking cemetery goes. I told you not to come here and take my fucking ghost. I don't like the stink of you, and he tries to keep him trapped in the cemetery when he's a ghost. Yeah. Well, when Fran Ross and, and uh, Peter Jackson were writing the movie— they wanted it to be a character like Arlie Ermey. They didn't actually ask Arlie Ermey to do it. They ripped off his character. Yeah. And then they ended up getting him. So, like, that's one of those little that's fun awesome. things that happen. There, uh, there's a lot of interesting things. Like, Michael J. Fox kept calling the judge Doc <laughs> from Back <laughs> to the Future. <laughs> Shit, you know, apparently they lost so many scenes because he's like, all right, Doc. And they're like, this isn't Doc. <laughs> you oh, got to go back and redo that. The levitating baby. Yeah. It's his kid. Yep. Yeah. So, he threw yeah, the, the baby main, in the, the main movie. one, the one that was in the bouncy thing. Yeah, I mean, like, fucking, it's just fun. Just go watch yeah. it. Um, Think about the CGI, like I said, for the future. A couple of little things I want to add on there. Um, the judge makeup was designed and done by Rick Baker. Mm -hmm. Peter Jackson made them shoot behind the scenes during the entire production. Right. And the judge looks fantastic, by the way. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it was one of the first times that this was actually done in a movie considering special features. Sometimes there was stuff like on bad taste where there was a little side thing or whatever, yeah. but he really wanted this done and wanted it for the laser disc. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole reason that we got, there's, there's a really good behind the scenes on is what right. I'm getting at. Um, Cause it was shot with that in mind. But I mean, we just covered three films of, I think what I looked at is IMDb's directed 23 movies. So we just only covered three. That fucking many? Shit, you got six just between Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> only three of them are truly horror. Lovely Bones is kind of on the cusp there. No. But they were great movies. They influenced me partially into getting into horror, and they influenced other filmmakers out there. And really, I mean, Sam Raimi did some cool shit, like Grassroots. Peter Jackson went all out. I mean, the fucking oh, yeah. special effects. I mean, if anything... Even if you've seen the movies, if anything, you guys got to look that documentary up on YouTube and just see the fucking shit that he just made with his own mind. Yes. This isn't catch up for a fake blood, you know, <laughs> some interesting little final thoughts with him, though. Uh, he stated in the past that he didn't want to re-release any of his older films until he could find a way to make them look better because they're shot on what, like 16 millimeter bad yeah. taste at a lot of stuff. He said in an interview in October last year that he's found a way to make the movies look better. He like puts them on 35 millimeter film or something and blows yeah. them up. And there is going to be a 4K Blu-ray release of Bad Taste, Dead Alive, and Meet the Feebles in the next year. Hmm. I really hope that that all goes on one disc and I can just <laughs> buy it that way. You're not going to be that lucky. I, I mean, know. 
He said, I'll do that after I buy the three individual ones. I was assuming it was going to be like Scream Factory, right? But he said, we found a way. And he has his own digital company. So it's going to be Weta. It's going to take him six years to do it, man. (laughs) He's figured out how to do the transfer um, himself. So yeah, you're probably right. But I mean, his visions, like he, he wants something and he gets it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings were large budgets, but they weren't large budgets for what you got. No. Like this guy, I mean, he says that filming in New Zealand is part of how he keeps it so cheap. But the guy, he fucking, if he wants a scene, he figures out how to make it. And that's the thing, man, is going from, you know, the we've talked about parallels between him and Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi, you know, making it to Spider-Man. But like you've, you've said to me in other conversations is he did other bigger non-horror movies that stepped him up there. And even his piece. TV shows too. Yeah. This guy getting Lord of the Rings came out of fucking left field other than, you know, the history with New Line. Right. And they're um, cinematically, they're fucking amazing. Director wise, <laughs> they're fucking amazing. I'm not even into fantasy. Right. They're fucking amazing. It's, well, it's, it's interesting. Legend, but. No matter how much research I did, I can't really like, even if you watch interviews and documentaries, people are like, I have no clue how this guy got the Lord <laughs> of the Rings up. This is literally like a deal with the devil kind of situation. Okay. Well, it's, it, it had to have been, let's, let's say it was Bob Shea. And he just woke right. up and freaking did a wake and bake. And like a joke you made before, man, you get bad ideas when you're high. And he's just like, I'm going to ask Peter Jackson to make Lord of the Rings. I, I mean, the fact that New Line Cinema had the rights. I know. To do Lord of the Rings. That's fucking crazy, too. Like, I just don't know how any of it happened. But I mean, it was. Um, I love the first Lord of the Rings movie. I saw them all open at night. I only rewatched the first one. Yeah. I'll take them what they are. They're still. I mean, they're still good movies. I think sometimes he gets a little overly ambitious. But yeah. The guy knows what he's doing, and he can he can make you a product. And it's, I don't know, he's fucking one of the cooler directors out there. Yeah. Don't know if he's going to make a, a return to horror. I don't think he really wants to. He, he said that the easy way in, like they all say, was horror or Splatoon films. and uh, <laughs> his, his splatter films, right? Yeah. I would really like to see like him make, even if it's a mainstream PG-13 horror movie, like, it'd be really cool to fucking see what he could do nowadays. Dude, if he would have taken the directing gig for Freddy vs. Jason, that's that's what I want to see. That and his script for Nightmare on Elm Street 6. But I said at the beginning, this is episode 10. I don't know. You know, like, fucking, it seems like it's blasted by, but we're at 10 episodes. We're still going strong. Yep, yep. We're having some fun doing it still. Um, we still got plenty of categories to go. And uh, we thought it'd be kind of fun to do a top 10 thing. Dun, dun, so dun. instead of doing like top 10 favorite horror movies or top 10 scary horror movies, we'll save those for other times. I picked 10 horror categories because that's kind of our thing, right? Yep. And uh, I'm just going to ask Josh like what his favorite or first comes to mind. And, and I'll say mine as well. And I will say that like these movies, they're not, they might not be the scariest or it might not be like the definitive version but these are the movies that are kind of like the first that come to mind to me. That was my criteria. And do I watch it regularly? Yeah. Like, even if I could say a movie like this one is the best, but I still only watch it once every five years, I didn't want to put it on the list for myself. And that's exactly where I came from. I've got to be able to go back and rewatch it. There are some movies that are great to watch once, but then the magic's gone. Right, right, right. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little interview with you, Josh. You ready? All right, uh, I'm ready. What is your favorite slasher movie? Scream. Uh-huh. Freddy's my favorite slasher, but my favorite slasher movie has to be Scream. So I went with Halloween, like the original one. Everyone um, listening already knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I w- almost put Scream, though. Oh, really? I mean, I watch both of them every year. Halloween's a better slasher movie as a whole slasher movie, but Scream's just a good fucking movie. Yeah. Stand test time. So I don't think that's going to be a shocker to, to many. All right. This one's not one of your most favorite categories. Vampires. 
Okay, vampires, not one of my favorite categories, but damn sure one of my favorite fucking movies now and forever, and that is fucking Lost Boys. Oh, you took my movie. Too bad. (laughs) (laughs) I also have Lost Boys. Um, I have some other favorites, like John Carpenter's Vampire is a good one. Uh, Near Dark's a classic, but Lost Boys is the, I've seen that vampire movie more than any vampire movie ever, and it never gets old. Yep. All right, this is a recent one werewolves all right this is where i'm gonna blow some minds okay remember how when uh uh i brought up ginger snaps and you're like i'm gonna catch so much hell because i'm gonna shit on this movie yeah yeah i'm fixing to catch so much hell for what i'm fixing to say i haven't watched a lot of werewolf movies probably count them all in one hand and if i'm gonna give you an honest answer teen wolf oh oh that's a good one michael j fox popping back up man that's a good movie though I, I really want to do is, it is not a horror movie. No. I will completely say that, but that's that's my my werewolf movie that right? I can that's always go back to. I can't wait to like one day do an episode on like PG family horror movies. Yeah. Like Teen Wolf and Monster Squad and Gremlins. That shit would be so fucking fun. Mine was Silver Bullet, which I said on the werewolf episode. Yeah. Fucking love that movie. I like the book. It's a good time. This next one, I'm not a huge zombie fan, believe it or not, but zombies. Um, got to go with recent content and that's fucking dead alive. Same thing I played. Uh, <laughs> it tore my soul though. I really did want to put night of the living dead. Really? I mean, it's like the, but that's the thing. It's like the definitive zombie movie, Yeah, but it doesn't have the same replay value, there you um, go. but it was, it was really fun. Uh, demons. <laughs> what? Evil dead too. I got a feeling you're going to say it. <laughs> yeah. I played evil dead too. There is a lot. <laughs> There are plenty of demon movies that actually terrify me and are, are fucking frightening. Yeah. Um, cause demons are something that I believe is out there and it scares the shit out of me. Yeah. But I still go to evil dead too. If I want to watch a demon movie, the fucking <laughs> Kandar demons getting hacked up by ash is the way to go. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, ghost poltergeist hands down. Oh yeah. It's a good one. I almost put that. I'm glad I didn't. Uh, that movie will be fun to cover one day too. Yes. Um, that was another one we watched when we were younger a lot because it came on like BBS and, and I, I have an in right now. So I have to say at last year's house at Halloween Horror Nights where they finally did Poltergeist was fucking awesome. Oh, I bet that would be really cool to see. Yes. I picked house. You ever seen that movie? Yes. That movie freaked me. I, all right. Here's the thing. I don't want to go back and rewatch it, even though I've seen it at least 10 times. I watched that movie so much as a kid and it scared the fucking shit out of me. There's not many horror movies that scare me. But that one did. And uh, that's the first thing that came to mind on Ghost. Sometimes Paranormal Activity does, but that's a demon, not a ghost. No. And if I was just doing one movie, like I might have would have put Paranormal Activity for demons because I watched that one all the time. But he's, he's not really a demon yet in that movie. No. So it was cheating. All right. Uh, possession. Um, possession. Uh-uh. Idle hands. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's interesting that you didn't go with like a possessed person. You went with a possessed body part. Yeah. I love that movie. It's really fun. That'll be fun to do in horror comedies. I picked Christine. <laughs> so neither you didn't one, go with a possessed person. No. Uh, it's really funny that we both did that. Uh, I love John Carpenter's Christine, Stephen King story made by John Carpenter. And it's fucking awesome in the cars possessed. So I think it counts. There you go. I'll give you that. Uh, aliens. All right. Why do you laugh? Killer clowns from outer space. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I fucking love that movie and it's so fun and I've watched it so many times. Mine has bounced. So I'm actually going to cheat and say two. Okay. Slither or critters? And glitter glitters. (laughs) Sorry. That's a different movie. (laughs) Critters is fucking up there, but I haven't seen it in such a long time. So it didn't come to mind. 
we come for the crites. I fucking love that scene. <laughs> I, I love that movie. The sequels fell off hard, like most horror movies, but that first one, I actually watched it a few months ago with David. I, he'd never seen it, so I made him watch Aren't it. are we supposed to be getting like a new show, movie, something On soon? Shudder. Yeah, I okay. sent you and your wife the trailer. Yeah, it looks pretty That's good. Right. Uh, Monster. Doesn't fit into another category. Well, okay, when I think about this category, I always want to say Pumpkinhead, but technically Ooh. he's a demon. Oh, that's right. So, Feast. That's mine. Sorry. I didn't even really like that movie. <laughs> I didn't even watch that one with I'm you before. I'm the horror comedy guy. How can I not like that movie? <laughs> that they is... wouldn't kill the cripple kid, would they? No. <laughs> Everything in that movie, it takes like every fucking trope and just throws it down and destroys it. Yeah. The practical effects on the monsters are fantastic. Yep. There's so little plot, you don't know what's happening in yep. the original one. And it, it's just a really fucking fun you've and gory fucking, ride. And you've got Henry Rollins and yeah. Jason Mewes. I know. And it's uh, produced by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. So, oh man, it just went down a peg for me then. No, it was, uh, it was really cool. Remember they did that Project Greenlight show? Yeah. And they tried to help you make a movie and get it greenlit, and that was the first season. No shit. Yeah, so it's really, it's a cool backstory on that. Okay. All right. Um, if you say The Witch, I might have to kick you off the podcast. What's your favorite witch movie? Wait, when you say The Witch, do you, are you The Vavitch? Yeah, The Vavitch. <laughs> okay. I hate that movie. Definitely not that. It's going to be Witch Hunter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, probably catch hell for this. Um, Back to what it did to me, and can I go back and rewatch it? The craft. I mean, that's a classic, dude. I mean, that was was that the nineties? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to be. I was making sure what early two thousands. Robin Tunney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like in, when she's not bald, Nev Campbell's in it. Like, and we <laughs> we watched that movie in the ground. We did. You know what I mean, it, and it was a good one. Um, there was also there was a guy movie. It was uh, was it called The Order or um, something? They're like warlocks. I think it's The Covenant. That was a fun one too, but that yeah. was like the guy version yeah. of the craft. Mine. Is the autopsy of Jane Doe. Fucking love that movie. And I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it because I forgot about that movie being fucking witchcraft related. Yeah, everybody always <laughs> thinks it's a demon possession, but it's not. It's a fucking witch. Um, no, I fucking, that's a good movie. So, so maybe that kind of lets you guys into a psyche a bit and let us let you know what we like across the board. Yeah. But yeah, it's a pretty fun uh, 10th episode. Like I said, we, we had a more interesting, not that Peter Jackson's not interesting, but that just kind of fell into the normal director category. But we had a, a different kind of category to do for the 10th episode, and it got bumped to next week for episode 11. Yep. And episode 11 is going to be Night of the... They're coming to get you, Barbara. So it's going to be horror movies that start with Night of the... Night of the what? Yeah, oh yeah, Night of all sorts of shit, Night apparently. But uh, we're, we're having a fucking blast making these for you. We're going to keep on pumping them out. But we need that feedback, so send us emails at sbspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at sbspodcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we're going to keep pumping pictures and shit as they come up and we're going to just keep on pumping these episodes out for you guys. And as always, y'all are sick of hearing me say that, but thanks for listening. <laughs> Later guys. <laughs>